0: Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 46 with Joseph Makos and Joseph Biavenu. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So, uh, it's a couple days after Valentine's Day, and the other Joseph is out of town. So, I thought this would be a good time to do an episode about love poetry. And so, I have back with me again my wife, Raina. Hi. And we also have with us our daughter, Emma, who's going to share a love poem with us as well. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about love poetry today.
1: Okay. I thought it was funny that when you said we have to find love poems, I was like, how am I going to find love poems? And then I started thinking about it, and I remembered that so many people think poetry is about love, right? Like, that's the the very stereotypical
0: idea. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, a lot of poetry is, right? But I mean, if you think about lyric poetry, that's mostly what it is. If you're talking to someone, whether it's a lover or a friend, that ends up being a love poem in one way or the other. Or even if you're talking to nature or an animal, that kind of ends up being a love poem.
1: And God, so many poems about sort of the spiritual essence and the love between a human being and their greater God or their existence yeah, nature and the world around them. Especially, I think lots of people when they think about poetry, think about the romantic poets, right? That's what they got in school, and that's what they remember, and all of those poems in some way feel like love poems, I think.
2: But, I mean, there are like so many different kinds of poems that, you know, are just there. They don't really have to be you know, love poems, but it does kind of end that way. Well, Sometimes.
1: I was, yeah, I was thinking about you and poetry that you've written, and you remember your yellow cat poem? Yeah. Is that not a love poem? Well, I guess it is, but I love cats anyway. Yeah, I know. So it would be. So that's the whole thing, right? Like we think about my immediate thought about love poetry was poetry to a lover, and, but a lover can be so many different types of things. It can be a cat, or it can be the stars, or it can be a moon. Or it can be my mommy. Or it can be your mommy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think anytime you're talking directly to... Anything. Anything. It tends to become a love poem, right? Even if you hate something... If you're talking directly to it.
1: If you're taking but, the time to do that, it is a love poem, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we're going to contemplate all the different ways we can write love poetry
0: today. Uh, I think we have a lot of poems to read. I don't know. I, I have more poems than I can possibly read, I think. I Even know. just trying to think about it a little bit, there's just so many. Um, I think I could have probably put, picked any poetry book off of the shelf and gotten at least two or three love poems out of it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not very hard to find. You can kind of, you know, interpret a lot of different poems into love poems, if you think about it that way. But it could always mean different things depending on the way you interpret it. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, you already poem? <laughs> yeah. How about... <laughs> or two or
1: three. Or 14. Yeah. I'm going to start with the poem by Gary Snyder, which is a love poem about a family. Since you're here with us tonight, for now. For now. And it's called The bath. Washing Kai in the sauna, the kerosene lantern set on a box outside the ground-level window lights up the edge of the iron stove and the wash tub down on the slab, steaming air and crackle of water drops brushed by on the pile of rocks on top.
0: He stands in
1: warm water, soap all over the smooth of his thigh and stomach. Gary, don't soak my hair! His eyes sting fear. The soapy hand feeling through and around the globes and curves of his body, up in the crotch and washing, tickling out the scrotum, little anus, his penis curving up and getting hard as I pull back skin and try to wash it, laughing and jumping, flinging arms around. I squat all naked, too. Is this our body? "'Sweating and panting in the stove-steam, "'hot stone, cider-planking, wooden bucket, "'water-splashing, kerosene-lantern flicker, "'wind in the pines, out-sierra-forest ridges night. "'Masa comes in, letting fresh, cool air "'sweep down from the door, a deep, sweet breath, "'and she tips him, over-gripping neatly, "'one knee down, her hair falling, "'hiding one whole side of shoulder, breast, and belly, "'washes deftly Kai's head hair, as he gets mad and yells, The body of my lady, the winding valley spine, the space between the thighs I reach through, cup her curving vulva arch and hold it from behind, a soapy tickle, a hand of grail, the gates of awe, that open back a turning double mirror world of wounds and wombs and rings that start in music. Is this our body? The hidden place of seed, the veins that flow across the ribs that gathers milk and peeks up in a nipple, fits our mouth. The sucking milk from this our body sends through jolts of light. The son, the father, sharing mother's joy that brings a softness to the flower of the awesome, open, curling, lotus gate. I cup and kiss as Kai laughs at his mother's breast, He now is weaned from we wash each other. This our body. Kai's little scrotum up close to his groin, the seed still tucked away that moved from us to him, inflows that lifted with the same joyous forces as his nursing masa later, playing with her breast, or me within her, or him emerging. This is our body. Clean and rinsed and sweating more, we stretch out on the redwood benches, hearts all beating, quiet to the simmer of the stove, the scent of cedar, and then turn over. Murmuring gossip of the grasses, talking firewood, wondering how Jen's napping, how to bring him in soon, wash him too. These boys who love their mother, who loves men, who passes on her sons to other women. The cloud across the sky, the windy pines, the trickle girl in the swampy meadow. This is our body. Fire inside and boiling water on the stove. We sigh and slide ourselves down from the benches, wrap the babies, step outside, black night and all the stars. Pour cold water on the back and thighs, go in the house, stand steaming by the center fire, Kai scampers on the sheepskin, Jen standing hanging on and shouting, Bow, 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 bow! This is our body, drawn up cross-legged by the flames, drinking icy water, hugging babies, kissing bellies, laughing on the great earth. Come out from the back. It was in 1974. <laughs> hmm. What do you think about that, Emma? Does that seem like a love poem to you? Well,
2: to me, yeah. Because of the love between all of the family. It's not a love poem to a specific person, but a group of specific people.
1: What do you think, Joseph?
0: I forgot about that poem. I wish it didn't have that repeated this is our body thing in there. I feel like it's... It
1: changes a little bit. It starts with this, our body, and then this is
0: our body, yeah. I mean, I like the idea of what it's trying to do, but it seems kind of didactic to me.
1: Well, I read that poem when I was in the beginning of grad school when I was pregnant with you. And that's when I first started reading Gary Snyder, and that poem particularly spoke to me, I think obviously because I was pregnant with you. And thinking about the idea of how love changes when a child is brought into the mix, right?
0: Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's funny. It's a very, like, 70s poem. Well, that's for sure. Like, this idea of, like, yeah, bodies are this amazing complicated thing you use in different in different ways in different sure, areas of your life you know, and there's all the naked overlapping bodies, of those yeah, things
1: yeah of children and and partner and and the, and the mingled sexuality between those things and the different ways that you think about that was certainly
0: i mean it's very 70s but no but i mean i think there's a lot of things about that that are true and are and are nice yeah I don't know. I wish it didn't have that repeated thing. I feel like it would have done the same thing without it.
1: Well, and I think it's very obvious that this is our body, like yeah. Well I mean it is. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's just kind of extra clarification.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which which we know Joseph doesn't like.
0: <laughs> well we also kinda of have some poems that are love poems kind of talking about it in a somewhat more philosophical sense. Mm -hmm. And so this one kind of ends with body, so maybe this is a good one to do next. This is Jack Gilbert's Tear It Down. We find out the heart only by dismantling what the heart knows. By redefining the morning, we find a morning that comes just after darkness. We can break through marriage into marriage. By insisting on love, we spoil it, get beyond affection, and wade mouth-deep into love. We must unlearn the constellations to see the stars, but going back toward childhood will not help. The village is not better than Pittsburgh, only Pittsburgh is more than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Rome is better than Rome in the same way the sound of raccoon tongues licking the inside walls of the garbage tub is more than the stir of them in the muck of the garbage. Love is not enough. We die and are put into the earth forever. We should insist while there is still time. We must eat through the wildness of her sweet body already in our bed to reach the body within the body.
2: But it's not waiting if you're mouth deep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's talking about what do you think love is? And how do you figure that out, right?
1: I think it's trying to move past sort of the things that we see on TV or we read in books about what love looks like, right? And a lot of times love does look like bodies in our society and the way bodies are together.
0: But did listen to? Did you hear the things he's saying in the other parts? I'm like, he says, by redefining the morning, we find a morning that comes just after darkness.
2: I feel like that kind of represents the daylight cycle.
0: Well, what do you? Was that normally how you would define what morning is?
2: No. Well,
0: no, but kind of. <laughs> it's. But that's kind of the idea, right? Like to figure out what anything is, and he's using that to think about how we're talking about what love is, right? You need to think about it in an entirely different way, right? The other part: we must unlearn the constellations to see the stars.
1: So, like, instead of looking at the sky and thinking this is how the sky is defined by all the constellations, right? Like, the You have to not
2: see, you have to not think about the stars as separate groups mm-hmm. and just think about them as individuals. hmm yeah. Which is weird because I don't really think that stars are, you know. Like, I don't think they have the prints at all.
1: They're just fireballs in the sky. <laughs> right, but <laughs> it's not saying that the stars are the things that you love, but it's giving a metaphor. Well,
0: when, when people think about love, are they always thinking about the individual people that they love, or are they thinking about some idea...
1: So think about some of the movies you watch, and when they annoy you, when the boy and the girl or the girl and the girl the boy and the boy boy get together, and and you're like, of course that was going to happen, because all these things happened beforehand, and it doesn't feel like those two people are together, it feels like it's an idea of what love is supposed to look like. Does that make sense?
0: But I like the raccoon part
1: the best. That's what I like the best, too. The raccoons licking the inside of the garbage the, can. That
0: sound, right? The sound of the raccoon licking the garbage can is more than the idea of the raccoon being in the garbage, right?
1: <laughs> That's probably the sound.
2: I can't do it. <laughs> I feel like it would, like, echo off the sides of the trash can. That's a good
0: rack. part. That's a really nice part.
1: hmm
0: It stood out to me, too. Oh,
1: okay. Well, speaking of marriage, since that poem brought up, I can give another marriage poem. Okay. All right, so this is Denise Levertov, The Marriage. You have my attention, which is a tenderness beyond what I may say, and I have your constancy to something beyond myself. The force of your commitment charges us. We live in the sweep of it, taking courage one from the other. I want to speak to you. To whom else should I speak? It is you who make a world to speak of. In your warmth, the fruits ripen, all the apples and pears that grow on the south wall of my head. If you listen, it rains for them. Then they drink. If you speak in response, the seeds jump into the ground. Speak or be silent. Your silence will speak to me. It's almost doing the opposite of what that poem you just read did.
0: But I feel like it... That's almost an anti-love poem. Well, it's Denise Lambert, off of it. But I mean, it's a marriage poem. But there's like, that's almost marriage as the opposite of love. Well, there is some aspect of that—that's—I that, mean, there's an aspect of it that's nice, but it's like some—it seems almost about duty or something.
1: It definitely has a lot of the duty idea, the, like the force of your commitment and and my constancy, my attention, your constancy, your commitment. It charges. But even
0: the even the the actual image part with the with the fruit on the wall of her head.
1: If you listen, it rains for them. Then they drink. So, you have, so it's like, you have to do this thing, and then I do this thing, or I do this thing, and then you do yeah, this thing.
0: Yeah, it seems very dutiful.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's like cause and effect.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is almost, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a kind of love, but that's almost anti-love in some ways. Well, anti-love. Well, it's like this, it's like that kind of antiquated idea of Which, there's some truth to it or whatever, like, but, you know, like, well, you're married to someone, now you just need to go through those motions, and that will be love.
1: Play along, and you'll love people. Except, though, even what that other poem just said, that line, love is not enough. So, you can't also just have this sort of romantic... Your individual star, your bathing in the bath body. Yeah. Like, love is also about those sorts of commitments. What? So you, like, can't have just, like, one
2: individual encounter and then... That's
1: love. Yeah, I think that's true. Though I don't think everybody would agree with me.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that go into that, but that, that Levertov poem is, seems very uh, very extreme to the end of... The procedure of love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a short one, and it's almost the opposite of that tough one. This is rubber, Creely. The warning. <laughs> for love... I would split open your head and put a candle in behind the eyes. Love is dead in us if we forget the virtues of an amulet in quick surprise.
1: Oh, that was short. (laughs) Wow. Huh. Well,
2: it is I love poem-ish.
1: Well, that's the mystical.
2: It's like they're saying that they would go to a few lengths. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like a jack o' lantern.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that did remind me of a
1: jack o' lantern, <laughs> except with an actual human head. <laughs> but that flame, right? It's the idea of the like, like. Like love being the flame, and then the amulet again. There's a there's a mystical aspect to that. The
0: opposite of duty, then, yes. Yeah, well, it is the opposite. Well, and also, you know, quick surprise, right? Like it's
1: fleeting. Well,
0: it's not, it's not just that. It's, it's not just that it's fleeting, but it's also that. Which is funny, right? There's always that conf- conflict, in when people think about love, mm-hmm. right of I don't understand the amulet part. They want to know someone fully or something, but but that's also the opposite of what you want in somewhere because you also want to be constantly intrigued. Intrigued and con yeah, and there's got to constantly be something but, unexpected and new, and which is po- which is well, you certainly can't possible. have Only
1: that either right? no, you can't
0: have only that, <laughs> like, of course, but yeah, but
1: love it. Yeah,
0: but I think probably real love does always have that, right? It, you well, and also I think it's impossible. You can't really ever fully know someone, right? Uh, and what? <laughs> you, what you, get and you don't have a cat. What? <laughs> you can. He's revealing secrets of our marriage now. I don't fully know you. You can know someone very well, right? But you can't you can't ever fully know them. But that's good, right? That's also a good thing, right? Because you want to constantly be...
1: Surprised.
0: You do want to constantly be, like...
1: Surprise. Well, you want to stay interested in, in yeah. who they are and figuring that out, I guess. I
2: can't tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing. No, I think it's a good
1: thing. Well, do you ever
2: lose interest in who somebody is?
0: Yes, people do. Well, definitely. I mean, you, you yeah, but probably the probably not. You're right, though, I mean, you probably couldn't lose interest in someone as long as they were being themselves with you. But that's a hard thing for people to do, right? If you're being yourself with someone, it would be impossible for you to ever have them know everything about you, and it would be impossible for. But I think people people don't do that, right? Like, that's a hard thing to do. That's maybe what it really is, is figuring out how to do that, is figuring out if you're, well, no one's ever, you know, fully, fully honest with anyone, but if you're in some larger sense, open, then you're constantly going to be finding new things in that person, right? Right? Yeah. Which I think good poems are like that, too. You're constantly finding new things in it if they're open, right? That's related.
1: That's a very wonderful metaphor, yes. Literature. <laughs> well, it's true. Not just good poems. Good movies.
0: Good books. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just life, right? Like, if you're open, if you're...
2: Good cats. Really. We don't have any. <laughs> <laughs>
0: If you're open and you're really attentive to what things are, yeah, it's complex. It's infinitely complex, right? And it's never going to be become boring, right? Does that make any sense
2: to you? Yes.
0: <laughs> now, do you want to read your poem
2: to us? This is The Fire Cycle by Zachary Schomburg. There are trees and they are on fire. There are hummingbirds, and they are on fire. There are graves, and they are on fire. And the things coming out of the graves are on fire. The house you grew up in is on fire. There is a gigantic trebuchet on fire on the edge of a crater, and the crater is on fire. There is a complex system of tunnels deep underneath the surface with only one entrance and one exit, and the entire system is filled with fire. There is a wooden cage we're trapped in, too large to see, and it is on fire. There are jaguars on fire, wolves, spiders, wolf spiders, on fire. If there were people, if our fathers were alive, if we had a daughter, fire to the edges. Fire in the riverbeds, fire between the mattresses of the bed you were born in. Fire in your mother's belly. There was a little boy wearing a fire shirt, holding a baby lamb. There was a little girl in a fire skirt, asking if she can ride the baby lamb like a horse. There is you on top of me, with thighs of fire, while a hot red fog hovers in your hair. There was me on top of you, wearing a fire shirt, and then pulling the fire shirt over my head and tossing it like a fireball through the fog, at a new kind of dinosaur. There are meteorites disintegrating in the atmosphere, just a few thousand feet above us, and tiny fireballs are falling down around us, pooling around us, forming a kind of fire lake, which then forms a kind of fire cloud. There is this feeling I get when I'm with you. There is our future house, burning like a star on the hill. There is our dark, flickering shadow. There is my hand on fire, and your hand on fire. My body on fire, above your body on fire. Our tongues made of ash. We are rocks on a distant and uninhabitable planet. We have our whole life ahead of us. I like that one.
0: I like that one too. Why do you think everything's on fire in that poem?
2: I feel like it represents the love. How? Because it may be a feeling that the author is feeling when he's loving these
0: things. Or person, that person. Or person. Well, why fire is an image? Why fire?
1: What does fire do? burns what does it burn practically everything
2: Mm
0: -hmm. in ancient poetry there's always fire is a very consistent image of love right yeah So, so this is so that so like look this is a poem by sappho the ancient Greek poet and she one probably is considered one of the first love poets right and this is, this is a short poem. Look at him, just like a god, the man sitting across from you, whoever he is, listening to your close, sweet voice, your irresistible laughter. And yes, it sets my heart racing. One glance at you, and I can't get any words out. My voice cracks. A thin flame runs under my skin. My eyes go blind, my ears ring, a cold sweat pours down my body. I tremble all over, turn paler than grass. Look at me, just a shade from dead. But that flame running running under the skin, or like flame running through bones is sometimes how that stuff gets translated, is this almost like stock image of love that goes through ancient poetry.
2: So it's like that feeling you get
1: when you love someone or something and what did you tell me earlier when I asked you what do you feel when you think about loving mommy or when you're loving mommy I feel warm mm-hmm. where do you feel warm
0: in my tongue mm-hmm. but what is it about fire too what happens if something burns I guess it kind of shrivels up yeah so it's it dies it, yeah so it dies or it's destroyed but then what happens later Say there's a fire in a forest.
1: And the fire starts, right? And it consumes everything, right? And it's raging and it's huge and it eats up the entire forest. And then a little time passes and then what happens? Then a bunch of new plants get the chance to
2: grow.
0: Yeah, and I think that's part of the metaphor too, right? Is it's too. It's...
1: There's something cleansing.
0: It's about, yeah, it's about new, about new growth, right? About new beginnings of things at the same time, right? It's like, yes, it's...
2: That's why it says we have our whole life ahead of
1: us. Yeah, there's all this fire happening. All these things are burning. Their past is burning, right? Their fears are burning. The wolves and the spiders, their beds are burning. Their mothers are burning. Their little children selves are burning. And then... And then
2: they're coming up on this uninhabitable planet where they have their whole lives ahead of themselves because Mm -hmm. of the
1: new beginning after the giant fire. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of times what happens when you meet somebody, a friend, or somebody that you love romantically right and you get so excited about them and it's so over-encompassing and it just takes over your whole life and then as that fire sort of dies down the two of you together maybe get to create a new way of being
0: and it is i mean it's a good metaphor right i mean that's why it stuck around i guess or like because sometimes you have to uh Sometimes you have to destroy some of the things that exist to have the opportunity to make something new right but we don't always want to do that right? Like you get attached to things, but nature doesn't get attached to things right like you have to things have, have to, to die for new things to grow right
2: You gotta flow like a tree just <laughs> roll with it. <laughs>
0: Well, thank you for reading that poem for us.
2: You're welcome. Now, continue having deep conversations that I don't understand. (laughs)
0: All
1: right, we'll try. (laughs) Thanks. Let me read another fire poem. I don't know if you're going to think this is a love poem. All right. But this is Gerard Manley Hopkins. It's a spiritual love poem. As kingfishers Catch Fire... As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, stones ring, like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors, each one dwells, selves, goes itself. Myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more, the just man justices, keeps grace, that keeps all his going graces, acts in God's eye, what in God's eye he is, Christ, for Christ plays in ten thousand places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces."
0: Okay, so why, why did you why did you think that was a love poem?
1: Why did I think that was a love poem? He was actually one of the first great people I thought of because I think his I mean, almost all of his poetry is religious in nature, right? Yeah. he was a priest, and yeah. he thought he couldn't be a poet, so he hid all of his poetry. But all of his poems are love poems to like God and the world. In this idea, well,
0: I buy that. But what about that particular poem?
1: I think it's a love poem to the self that is God. It's, I mean, like always, it's about like the inside thing in mm-hmm. the part of you that is a reflection of some sort of holiness that is ultimately love.
0: Okay.
1: What cool. about? This might be a good time to do something similar with Rumi's poetry, which I think is in the same vein, but you like it
0: more. Well, I think Rumi's in a very different vein, but let's see which one you read, now.
1: I'm gonna read granite and wine glass. Okay. You are granite. I am an empty wine glass. You know what happens when we touch. You laugh like the sun coming up laughs at a star that disappears into it. Love opens my chest, and thought returns to its confines. Patience and rational considerations leave. Only passion stays, whimpering and feverish. Some men fall down on the road like dregs thrown out. Then, totally reckless, the next morning they gallop out with new purposes. Love is the reality, and poetry is the drum that calls us to that. Don't keep complaining about loneliness. Let the fear language of that theme crack open and float away. Let the priest come down from his tower and not go back up.
0: <laughs> no, it's totally the opposite. <laughs> yeah, but, and no, but I mean, he's, he uses, and that's what Rumi does. There's definitely abstract ideas behind it, but he takes very concrete, real things. To demonstrate that, right, starting with the idea of granite in the wine glass, which is a weird image, <laughs> but, weird. but it makes sense illustrating that idea that he's talking about. And then, even though it's kind of vague imagery, using the imagery of people acting in a certain way to illustrate that, it's...
1: Well, what he has also, which Hopkins doesn't, in their both, you know... Rumi really always brings humor into his spirituality, right? Into his larger thing. It's like that sort of laughing priest sort of thing where I
0: think Hopkins is very serious. Yeah, which I never liked about him.
1: But don't you think that's because Hopkins was so repressed? Yeah, but that
0: makes for some terrible writing, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to read this one because I, I think it kind of... Sort of related to the fire idea, but we got away from that. Mm,
1: Sorry.
0: There's no fire in it at all. Okay. But this might be my favorite love poem, even though it's sort of an anti-love poem in some ways, but...
1: No, imagine that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But this is Louis Aragon, who I think is criminally under-translated into English. Poem to shout out in the ruins. Let's spit, the two of us, let's spit on what we loved, on what we loved, the two of us. Yes, because this poem, the two of us, is a waltz, and I imagine what is dark and incomparable passing between us like a dialogue of mirrors abandoned in a baggage claim somewhere. Say Foligno or Bourboul and the Averner. Certain names are charged with a distant thunder. Yes, let's spit the two of us on these immense landscapes where little rented cars cruise by. Yes, because something must still something reconcile us. Yes, let's spit the two of us. It's a waltz, a kind of convenient sob. Let's spit, let's spit tiny automobiles. Let's spit, that's an order. A waltz of mirrors, a dialogue and a void. Listen to these immense landscapes where the wind cries over what we loved. One of them is a horse leaning its elbow on the earth. The other is a dead man shaking out linen. The other, the trail of your footprints. I remember a deserted village on the shoulder of a scorched mountain. I remember your shoulder. I remember your elbow, your linen, your footprints. I remember a town where there was no horse. I remember your look which scorched my deserted heart, a dead mazepa whom a horse carries away like that day on the mountain. Drunkenness sped my run through the martyred oaks which bled prophetically while daylight fell mute over the blue trucks. I remember so many things, so many evenings, rooms, walks, rages, so many stops in worthless places where in spite of everything the spirit of mystery rose up like the cry of a blind child in a remote train depot. So I'm speaking of the past. Go ahead and laugh at the sound of my words if you feel that way. He loved and was and came and caressed and waited and kept watch on the stairs, which creaked, oh violence, violence, I'm a haunted man, and waited and waited, bottomless wells, I thought I should die waiting. Silence sharpened pencils in the street. A coughing taxi drove off to die in the dark, and waited, and waited. Smothered voices in front of the door, the language of doors. Hiccup of houses, and waited. One after another, familiar objects took on, and waited. The ghost-like look, and waited. Of convicts, and waited, and waited. Goddamn, escaped from a prism of half-light, and suddenly, no, stupid, no, idiot. The shoe crushed the nap of the rug. I barely return, And loved, 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 but you cannot know how much. And loved, it's in the past. Loved, 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 loved. Oh, violence. It's nothing but a joke to those who talk of love as if it were the story of a fling. Shit on all that pretense. Do you know when it truly becomes a story, love? You know when every breath turns into a tragedy, When even the day's colors are laughable, air a shadow in shade, a name thrown out that everything burns, and you know deep down that everything burns, and you say let everything burn, and the sky is the taste of scattered sand, love you bastards, love for you is when you manage to sleep together, manage to, and afterwards, ha ha, all of love is in that and afterwards we manage to speak of what it is to sleep together for years. Do you understand, for years, just like a boat sails toppling onto the deck of a ship loaded with lepers in a film I saw recently. One by one, the white rose dies like the red rose. What is it, then, that stirs me up to such a pitch in these last words, the word last, perhaps a word in which everything is cruel, cruelly irreparable, and torn to shreds, word, panther, word, electric chair. The last word of love, imagine that, and the last kiss, and the last nonchalance, and the last sleep. No kidding, it's comic. Thinking simply of the last night, ah, everything takes on this abominable meaning. I meant the last moment, the last goodbye, the last gasp, last look. Horror, horror, horror. For years now, horror. Yes, let's spit on what we love together. Let's spit on love, on our unmade beds, on our silence and on our mumbled words, on the stars, even if they are your eyes, on the sun, even if it is your teeth, on eternity, even if it is your mouth, and on our love, even if it is your love. Yes, let's spit. Yeah, that's
1: a good poem.
0: And that translation was by Jeffrey Young. Yeah. But, you know, that actually reminds me of The Levertongue Talk. Oh, I think it's the total opposite of that. No way. How do you think it reminds you of that?
1: Because it's about it's about the grind of existence, and it's about this love between whatever two people being their way of handling the horridness of humanity. That's how they're handling it. And they're still going through all these emotions. They're still managing, like, looking at reality and still being alive.
0: Well, maybe, but it's the opposite. It's spinning on the conventions of love, it's the opposite of Levertov.
1: No, it's creating their own conventions, but it's still the same thing. Not Spitting on the unmade bed rather than making the bed is still doing the, we have to do these things to stay together.
0: I don't know. I don't agree with that. It's about being free from that. So that Leverton's poem is entirely within the constraints of society's idea of love, where the entire point of that is you can have love without feeling like you're conforming to those constraints.
1: To those constraints, but it's creating their own constraints.
0: How do you figure that? The,
1: like, managing to to have sex, the managing... No,
0: I think you misread that poem, then, because I think the whole point of that is, no, they're saying love for you, that's... That's saying for other people. Like, it's disdainful to other people. Like, love for you is when you manage to sleep together. Manage to. And then when you manage to spend years sleeping together. I mean,
1: I hear the fight against the convention, obviously. But I don't think... I don't think it's an anti-love
0: poem. I don't think it's an anti-love poem, necessarily. Well, maybe in some ways, but... It's very pessimistic, I guess. Because I think the part that's maybe anti-love is... It is, I think, opposite of those conventions. But I also think it's, there is something underneath where he's kind of maybe thinking there's no love that isn't very temporary or fleeting in some sort of way. That's kind of more of the idea. It's a tricky poem, though, because the use switches, right?
1: So do you know when it truly becomes a story love you know when every breath turns into a tragedy when even the day's colors are laughable air a shadow and shade a name thrown out that everything burns and you know deep down that everything burns and you say let everything burn and sky is the taste of scattered sand that that's where it switches love you bastards love for yeah. you that's yeah. A different, yeah that's a different yeah it's when you manage to sleep together Okay, but that part before that, I understand you're saying that sounds fleeting, but I don't think that's necessarily fleeting. That's more about, like, the reality of
0: human existence with another person, I mean, is basically a tragedy. That's not the part that was making me feel like it's fleeting, but yes. I mean, that, there's, there, he's,
1: he's privileging These two people who can spit on convention, who can recognize, you know, the horridness of existence and allow those things to burn and be part of them, but there is no denial of the love. It's just, it's a privileged love compared to the other ones.
0: Um, well, it's also, like, kind of an unrequited love poem, I think. I mean, that's not, I think, explicitly stated. It feels like, to me, he is in love with someone who wants a more conventional love. And he's trying to convince her... Well, I
1: don't ask you for evidence
0: of that. uh, um, No, but I think that's there. I mean, but it because in the beginning, right, it seems unrequited, doesn't it? I mean, if you look at the beginning of that, you have it in front of you. I don't...
1: I don't know. I don't think so. At the beginning, they're spinning together on their past, on the things that they've loved before. They're waltzing together over and over again. I mean, I guess I could say that, like, what is dark and incomparable passing between us. The waltz of mirrors, a dialogue in a void.
0: Yeah, that's... A pretty, dialogue in a void that's, is pretty damning. That seems like... That's what it's... that's
1: into these immense landscapes where the wind cries over what we loved, but it's about what we loved.
0: Yeah, it seems like... That seems like it's describing a situation where you have two people who are in love... But one of them wants something conventional and the speaker wants something unconventional and is trying to talk her into a more unconventional love. So
1: the title, Poem to Shout in the Runes, I mean, I guess I can it could be the runes of
0: their love affair, but Or it could to me be I mean
1: the runes of like
0: yeah, well, it's humanity. I think it is. But I think it's both of those things, right? It's like this, and
1: maybe because this of is humanity like, love can't. This actually is exist. his.
0: This is his last dish attempt of like, okay, let's continue this love, but you don't want to do that because you want to have this conventional love.
1: And so, this is your favorite love poem, husband. Oh, <laughs> 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 look at you surprising me with your candle, amethyst. <laughs>
0: Well no, not that well not <laughs> not that I necessarily although I think I do identify with it in some extent and you probably do as well. Not mm-hmm. not our relationship, but I mean I think we have both probably had that experience.
1: Well, I certainly identify with the spitting on
0: everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but of of having someone that you that you that you do have Love with in a lot of different ways, but they're tied to a very specific
1: specific definition of what that looks like,
0: yeah, or some idea of what they want that to be. And they're not there with you, they're not there with you having the actual experience with you. They are to some extent, but they're not letting themselves actually do that, right? They're they're they have this idea of like, well, this is what society says I should be doing, and this is what it is, and or, and, and maybe
1: worse, and maybe that's where the despair comes in at them, is where you think that you're having a shared experience with somebody that you're spitting together, and then it turns out yeah. that, that person's not doing that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I don't know, that's what that poem is. And that's what that feels like to me, that that poem is, 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 yes, not unrequited in the sense of the person doesn't love them at all, but of they had some sort of love, but it's like, oh, but wait. Well, this
1: I think... Is not, <laughs> yeah. Well, when I'm with you talking, I always sound like the optimistic one. The rest of my life, or on everybody else, I'm the pessimistic <laughs> one. But then with you, I have to take the happier route.
0: Well, but it's not totally pessimistic, that poem, by the end. But it sort of is. And it's, I mean, it's certainly pessimistic if you think of society, but I think that's probably maybe not pessimistic overall. And that's also, I think, a trope of romantic literature. Anyway, like if you're going to have a real love, you have to reject some of those conventions, which is a funny thing, right? Because there's always that conflict in literature about that, right? On the one, literature is always saying, even in the most traditional forms of love literature, oh, you need to reject society's idea of that too. To, makes you know, me think
1: of the. um, there's a series of them. They're like um, 18th century poems about the the guy gets the woman alone, and he starts trying to have sex with her, and then at some point she like stops it, and he doesn't get to ejaculate. What? Are...
0: Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't raise their term for that. Yes, no. there's a
1: guy I wrote a huge paper on it, and I found one that hadn't been in the. Can before. Um, it's not unrequited love. It's something about
0: ejaculation. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also that whole thing, like, who are the... What is the tradition of... Oh, God. I wish I could remember the name of it. Wish is always a funny image to me. I can't remember the whole movement, but it's a funny image to me. But it was those sort of love troubadours. And they would wear fur coats in the summertime to prove... Because that was like part of the whole thing. It was like about being against whatever was natural in society of like, okay, we're going to wear... It's blazing outside. We're going to wear fur coats in the summertime to prove how much we are devoted to the idea of love or that. Yeah. (laughs) Which doesn't make any sense, but there's that there's that current of that running through.
1: Certainly. I mean, you think about authorian romances and that sort of stuff, right? It's always about these, like, going against everything you're supposed to be doing to prove your love.
0: And I mean, I don't think that's necessarily what's going on with the Lou Aragon poem, mm-hmm. Peter, but I think that's part of it, right? But it, it's There is a little teenageness of it always, of going against...
1: Oh, and then then that's a little romanticized, right? Well,
0: I mean, it is, but it's also like, even when you're doing it in a different way, it's like always this kind of thing, like, oh, you have to find your own way of Mm -hmm. going against the society of your time to show that that might be ritualistic, more than it is something but then, real. But don't
1: you think that every couple feels like they're doing that? I Okay, not every couple, but a lot of people are like, oh, I mean, because he, he does privilege this particular relationship over others, and that's well, what people I people mean, always do. Like, oh, but we're doing it different. Oh, but we're being unconventional. Yes. I don't
0: know. I mean, I think it's, I think I don't feel like you seem to think that it's privileging their own... I don't feel like that at all in that poem. I feel like it's... I mean, to some extent, sure, but it's in a... I think it's in a way that's inclusive. It's in the same way, like, if you're listening to a a rock song or something that tries to make it feel like that way, it's not really about them. They're... In fact, I think the whole point, like, the whole point of that poem is to try to make the people who are reading it feel like they're part of that, too, but... But I also think, yes... Okay, but then what convention are you going to No, but I mean, I think it is... But, well, yeah, but that's the funny thing about it. Like, you're falling into a convention as the same time as you're going against it. But then there's other things... That's what I said at the beginning! But, at the, but, the other, but like, that poem does have a lot of things outside of what the poem's saying that are formally very... that are, like, pretty shocking, even today, much much less at the time period... The some of that repetition and some of the I mean and, and as far as using the modern technology of the time, like let's spit tiny automobiles, let's sure. spit Yeah, but that's, that's the same pretty great, right you know?
1: now is like
0: let's spit on our cell
1: phones.
0: No, it's not though, because it's more well, I mean, yes, in some ways, no but it's not but but that's the difference too, though. Then that's a linguistically important difference. Like he's not, let's saying, he's not saying let's spit on automobiles. He's saying let's spit it, automobiles. Okay. Like you're spitting them out, mm-hmm. and that's a different thing. I mean, I think there's really interesting that's things true. in that. That's true. Um,
1: the, the, it's a command. Let's spit. Well, it even says that's command.
0: Well, and also, and, like, the shifting of the you is pretty nice. Like, the shifting to, like, and, yeah, you, you bastards, you. I mean, again, that's confusing. (laughs) I don't think it's confusing, but but it is. That's also something where it's, like, well, this feels kind of punk in a way. Like, it's kind of like that thing where you're, like, it's, like, in a punk song where you're, like, maybe for once you're at one moment, it's a love song, and then you're, like, and you fucking capitalist motherfucker. You know, like, you just swish into this thing, you know? So, um,
1: I feel like I would... You, I feel like you would be annoyed if a student didn't...
0: Not, well, it just depends how you do it, right? But I think he does it very well. Yeah. Um. Well, and that's... I think that's part of the interesting thing. He, like... And And, yeah. And, I mean, I think part of the beauty of that poem and part of what I like about that poem is, yes, it's also, like, navigating those things very well. It is, like... trying to be futurist in the sense of using technology and those things, I mean, and surrealist in some of the ways, using imagery. But it's also relying on a lot of what previous love poetry is at the same time, which is part of what makes it good. It wouldn't be, (laughs) if it was just totally outside of that tradition, it wouldn't be good at all. But it's using that tradition and jumping off of it at the same time and contradicting it. As it's doing it, which is part of what's nice about it. And the asides are nice. Let's Spit the Two of Us is a waltz. Like, that's a, you know, like having the little asides in there are nice. It's, it's just a really, I just really like that poem a lot. I like Lou Aragon a lot. He's got a lot of love poems in his early days, honestly. A lot, a lot of poems to his wife at the time. All right, I'm gonna read another poem. <laughs> All right, what we got here?
1: Okay, this is Anne Waldman from her book *Marriage: A Sentence*. I think this was 2004. She was at the what the hell is that place
0: called? <laughs> the gold mine.
1: Yeah. So Anne Waldman was at the gold mine. And I was in undergrad, and I went to see her with Kay Murphy. And I had just gotten married for the first time. I was 24. (laughs) Alone in her sprint of him. She alone in her sprint of him, alone in her welcomed and wedded carnal sense of him, this is holy, holy, this is holy. She in fierce love of him, tender like her son she would have by him, the need to make it holy, make this holy side by side in the holy bed, and placement of him in her is holy. And what wonders of love and a child and of partners in the mysteries of love that take a testament to the wedded gaze of owning him. How fierce he is, mine, he is holy. Gaze long into him, how holy he is, watch him move around, how holy, watch and wake the flesh to be holy. For he is the only yearned-for partner in the wedded light of holiness, binding the thread that runs through the holy beads as holy. It is a clear thread, it is liquid, it is silver, it is gold, it is holy. So you can imagine why my marriage didn't last if this was what I
0: was reading. when we Well, first. that's okay. an anti-love poem.
1: That is an anti-love poem. Yeah. But it's partnered, like everything in this book, with another poem. So there's the prose poems and then the other side there. Okay. okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Thin-skinned. The world may be shaped as nourished, like flowers nourished inside the world named as people nourished two of them. The way snakes leave their skins behind, two of them are people, and they might long hours being people, think on this becoming other than what they were once, and dress as other snake skins, and let them as couple be spared their original skin, which was young, thin, tender, and be as metaphors representing themselves to themselves, beyond themselves, in the house of themselves." A single rose might stand in for this couple. Shed a petal.
0: Disappear. That's pretty abstract to me. I don't know that I like that one. That feels like someone with some psychological blockage to me.
1: <laughs> Why Why psychological blockage?
0: So the way that's written, I don't know. I mean, that's like someone talking about themselves in the third person.
1: Do you think that that's the setup of this? Is that the the female speaker in the first poem, and then that's like her poem about what she's doing or something like that?
0: That'd be a generous way of interpreting it. (laughs) Uh. I still don't know if I would like that, if that's what it is. I mean, I could kind of... That first one, it's like, okay, that's a pretty anti-love poem. That's fine. I don't know. that, That second one felt very... I don't know. That makes me dislike the first poem to some extent. It makes me feel like that's her writing about herself in a way that's... What, dishonest? Not dishonest, necessarily, but that's not that she hasn't done the work she needs to do to write about the subject she's trying to write about.
1: Mm. So it says that this book is based on the traditional form of the hyphen
0: Well, I don't really give a shit about that. It doesn't matter one way or the other. I'm
1: um, just yeah, well, okay. in which a prose-like yeah. poem is coupled with a condensed lyric
0: poem of the same theme. Okay, well, that just further... Bothers you? That further makes me feel like someone obfuscating their personal experience that they're trying to write about. Right? Uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know that's hard, right? I mean you gotta write about your yourself to some extent. But like you have to figure out and to some extent you're always gonna avail that to some to some extent, I mean, you can't help but do that, but to veil it in a way that is intuitive and understanding of what you don't understand, even while you're doing it, is better. Where that feels like trying to force... That's why I really dislike that one.
1: Like trying to force a
0: universal Trying to salary. force your experience into some kind of, like, aphorism. Yeah. Or trying to force it into some instead of letting it be what it is, right? It feels very forced. Well, I wanted to read, which, like, things of... of, And I think it'd be a good counterpoint to that, Mm -hmm. is, like, I don't know, I guess I was trying to find maybe some more playful love poems that are not necessarily... And, uh... I mean, obviously, I like this poet because she was my teacher. And, but I think she does a good job being playful about her things with that and, and not closing in that experience of things. So I have two two love poems from Dara Weir, because they're both pretty short. Okay. Romantic. My love said, take all my books. You can take all my clothes, my hats, my shoes, my gloves. You can have my watch band. Take my sifters. You can have my glass head and my silver darts. Take my wild boar, my astronaut. You can have my pots and pans and my replica of the United States. And take, while you're at it, all the presidential figurines. You can have all my matchbooks, my binoculars, my exceptionally fine collection of cleaning products, my one-of-a-kind snake charming horn. Take my sand dollars and beach glass. Take all my spices and salt and pepper. You can have my smoked ham and brown mustard. You can take away my progresso soup. Take away my bread. Take my spoons. You can have my sheets and my pillows. Take my rugs and my three erasers. Take my pitcher and the scarf you gave me. Take my feathers my fox took from my hawk. Take my walking stick. You can have my broom and my glass eye. You can take away my atomic clock. Take my dog, take my rule book, take my decoy and my bamboo cage. You can take my girl waiting on her suitcase, my Michael Jackson doll. You can take my mother and her priest and their holy water basin. Take my drill and my hammer. You can have all my brushes and combs. Take my handkerchiefs and my scissors. Take all the keys you can find. Take my handkerchiefs and my scissors. Take all the keys you can find in the house. Take my scythe, my hoe, my rags, my lamp with the lovers asleep in one another's arms. Take my Sprite sitting on a stump daydreaming over an empty book. Take my moose. Take my coffee can of loose change. Take all my ant traps. Take my window panes. Take my steps and my doors. Take my chicken shack and my wheelbarrow. Take my combat ship plaque. Take my Vatican champagne flutes, my earplugs, take my quilts, take all my quilts. I would not take one stitch of one of your quilts, though I love them, I sweetly interrupted. <laughs> it's a bit silly, but I like it. <laughs> Why do you like it? Well, it's a fun list bomb. Sure. But I also think that's kind of uh, that's kinda of like how you feel, right? All these things that are important to you. And then when you love someone, you're kind of like, yeah, well, you take all those things. I don't care about them. But then if you love someone, you also feel like, I understand they're important to you.
1: Yes. There is a nice simplicity in that. And it is nice that it's a list poem, and it's an
0: excellent list. Well, it's a good list. I mean, it wouldn't be.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be really
0: boring if it <laughs> No, it was just a bunch of money. I like the girl right. waiting on the suitcase, picturing some china doll. Well, yeah, and then it becomes things, not just physical things, right? It becomes you know,
1: her mother and her pretty things,
0: things that you're attached to. Yeah, attached to, right? in yeah. in like a psychological sense or something in some way, right?
1: Well, and then that that kind of relates back to the fire idea, the consumption sort of thing, right?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, there's this sacrifice idea too, like of like yes, which I we haven't gotten this,
1: into that much, but yeah,
0: I'll give all this up for you, right? But
1: but but, 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 but then, but that's why I like you. that ending of like yes. yeah,
0: but like but well, no, really. I wouldn't.
1: I not want your.
0: I I don't want you to do that, right? Which is kind of the whole thing, but also not. I mean, that's you want someone to give all those things, but you. But then if you love them, you're not going to take them. (laughs) You wouldn't really want them to give that up for you, right? Like, at the same time, right? Like, it's, uh, which is nice. Yes. And I guess that's why I like that poem. I think it encapsulates that idea very well without, it doesn't have to...
1: Say it in any way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's
0: good. But then this one's maybe a more personal one, and I like this one, too. Sweetest Words for a Noble Man Out from the conflagration, you walked untouched to greet us with lightning and sulfuric acid from face falling. Shocking. I took your picture. You took my hand right off my arm. Alarming. There's a road in Wyoming and another road somewhere in heaven, so it's been recorded. You always used to say you wanted to live in a brick house, because, I assume, the pig who built a brick house turns out to be your favorite. When I look out toward the billboards on which your strongest feelings are recorded, I'm impressed with how little I've noticed. We are, what, 98% secret, and the rest mostly invisible? I missed you, by which I mean I didn't get you, You whizzed right by me, you far-flung master of whispering bumblebees. I want a submersible in order to find a few of your tentacles. Bioluminescence is all I have to give you. See how snow ultimately holds twilight ever so sweetly, you big bully. Whisper bumblebees? Yeah, Yeah, that's
1: good.
0: But that's nice, too, right? Well, and I guess that kind of is, like, the Crilly thing, too. That kind of idea of however long you know someone, there's things you understand, but there's, you know, that whole, like, well, 98% secret, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There's all these things you never get. I like that. The, you wanted to live in a brick house and i assume it's because the pig who <laughs> built the brick house somehow came out to be your favorite which is like a wonderful strange kind of assumption but it also kind of assumes some sort of intimacy at the same time that you would think that as a reason <laughs> as a reason for why someone might think that right
1: uh-huh mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh-huh Well, and I think, you know, we were talking earlier with Emma and I about this needing some sort of mystery or unknowing for love to continue, like, that there's always that sort of flame underneath that's unexpected and whatever. And then, but I think part of loving is the, like, pushing at that, right? Yeah. And, like, the assumptions and the, like, trying to figure it out and, like, maybe that's what we're doing
0: with each other. Well, yeah, but also the... Those misunderstandings become their own... Mythology? Yeah. You can imagine someone saying that to their... to to their the person friend. they're in love with and and... That's totally wrong. But then that becomes a thing. Like that becomes a mythology a thing of their relationship. Yeah. Relationship, right? Yeah. Like, you're like, okay, well, you know, maybe the three little pigs is now something in your relationship, where that's a uh, some kind of weird touchstone or something. Certainly. And that's part of that too, right? Like those that unknowing and that process of knowing is creative at the same time, right? Like it creates new...
1: Yes, and that's, again, the fire thing and the new begin, right? It creates these whole... Well, because what we do as human beings is create our own, like, mythopoiesis, right? And then when we're with somebody else, we have to create this whole new story and those sorts of things are how that mythology takes place. Yeah. Do you want me to read the poem that I wrote for you when we first met? Okay. Okay. So I wrote this poem for you I think in early twenty fourteen. So we've probably been dating like five months or something. And then um or not for you, I just wrote this poem about us. And then your birthday was coming up. And so then I started writing this whole long letter that took, like, two months. And all your friends had read it by the time. And I read it to them. And it had (laughs) gone through all these revisions. and ended up being, what, like, seven pages? (laughs) Like, this is a long thing. Um, But the crux of it was this poem. And so I'm just going to read that. Okay? Okay? All right. In most tongues. Because we aren't speaking anymore... I'm pressing into your flesh, creating melodic indents on the form of your function. By fingertip, along your spine, across your hips, back of head, thigh, and ass, hoping to feel your words, as I can't see them or hear them now. And we've talked so much. So many hours, it's eerie we get quiet in our intimacy. Like entering an empty mosque to escape the noon thunder Absorb. Even your moans and my muse are muted inward. Perhaps I flatter us, our contemplative musing, though our mouths do stand open more often than not. Is this a temple-worthy flesh act demanding such tonal reserve? But listen, I know you are making words. They rumble from deep inside you, only too much skin and bone and blood between them and I. Still... I push, pat, pinch along your flesh, strategizing the way into your garment so I might become in stress, bouncing about your inscape as we bounce about this bed. Oh, you're making a sweet face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> I
0: know I'm not going to have a lot to say, but. <laughs>
1: I should hope not. Except nice things.
0: Oh, well. It's really nice things, but.
1: There you go, listeners. We finally got news <laughs> to shut up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't had a. Uh... That might be the only poem I've ever had written to me.
1: Well, I was saying the other day that was pretty damn bold of me to write the poet a poem like five months after we met, huh? Mm-hmm. That must have been a surprising <laughs> candle flicker. I was like, damn, I was good. No wonder we got married. <laughs> I don't think I could do that now. No. I mean, isn't that interesting? I mean, I think that was in a consuming time where I was bolder and felt... You know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: That is a love thing, I think.
0: Yeah. Or an in-love
1: thing, right?
0: But it's a funny thing, right? Well, and, and I'm, you know, listening to it on the other end. To have someone... Those images and those things have particular meanings to me that... Well, and also to see, like, your vision of them, which some of it is shared with mine, but some of it is is different from mine. Sure. To see that is, yeah. you know, just inherently, like, inherently moving to me, but it's hard. You know, but like, I don't know. I wonder
1: what somebody else would...
0: But that's... Maybe love poems have that more than any other kinds of poems do, because they are... they're always containing something very private, that is maybe couched in something else, but is not hidden from the fact that it's private, even if you don't understand all of it.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting, I like I said again, when you talked about doing a love poem episode, I was like, huh? Poems are about love? Where am I going to find that? Which just seems ridiculous to me five minutes after I said that, right?
0: I mean, I still have such a whole stack of books over here. I could read another.
1: But I think I've spent so many years now thinking about poetry in different ways than
0: love poems, which I feel like was the earliest way I thought about poetry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you were saying you were going to read that poem, and I was trying to think, like, what's the last love poem I've written? And I don't think I've written a love poem since I was in my 20s. You certainly haven't written one to me. Well. (laughs) I I think there's a certain, like, development of writing. And it's not that I don't have those feelings and I don't have those things, but it becomes like, well, I was looking through certain people that I knew had love poems. Mm -hmm. Some of which we didn't get to. But I was like, well, I was like, well, where the hell are they? And I had to go way back. Like, some of them had ten books, and I had, it was like in their first two or three books where their love poems were, and then there weren't any after that. No, yeah, but I know?
1: think that makes sense, and I think it goes <laughs> back to what we were talking about with, like, how old the idea of the love poem is. Like, like that it's it's this sort of foundational space.
0: Well, and I mean, and maybe it is also how you define a love poem, right? Because I think maybe if you would define a love poem more broadly, I could find love poems in their later books. Surely, but, but I mean, if you're, you're, you're looking talking for about like, in that, sense looking of like for a that classic idea, a yeah, a poem yeah. to a lover, that's more earlier mm-hmm. in people's mm-hmm. career. Because I think it has a sense of like, well, yeah, I mean, it's like, well, there is this sense of uncertainty or like, like, and you were saying like, well, you wrote that when it was early on in our relationship, right? Like, you wouldn't write that now, which I don't...
1: Well, if I did write that now, it would be a very different... It'd be a different
0: poem, right? It would be a different, um, there's some aspect of that where there's... There's a, which is not the only kind of love, but there's like, but that's so much of how we think about love, I guess, is there's this uncertainty and this kind of.
1: feverishness. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing that went along with that was like all that talk about like Denise Levertov's creating poetry, like, from Poet in the World, and this idea of, like, it being music inside of you. I mean, so many of the things that came out of these love poems, this idea of music, the idea of burning, the idea of, like, something inside that's bubbling over like a poem, and then, like, the poem, like, spurts out like ejaculation, like, it's just
0: like... Yeah, well, and I wonder where the space is for, and it definitely exists... And actually, there's this one poem I was trying to find. I think there is a place for love poems that are some different kind of more mature love poems. So, I mean, I, I think it's hard to find poems like that. But this Tony Hoagland poem has always kind of stuck with me. Although there's some aspects of the negative kind of marriage thing, like the Levertov. But I still think it's a nice poem. Okay. Wind chime. She goes out to hang the wind chime in her nightie and her work boots. It's 6.30 in the morning, and she's standing on the plastic ice chest, tiptoe to reach the crossbeam of the porch. Wind chime in her left hand, hammer in her right, the nail gripped tight between her teeth. But nothing happens next, because she's trying to figure out how to swish number one with number three. She must have been standing in the kitchen, coffee in her hand, asleep when she heard it, the wind blowing through the sound the wind chime wasn't making, because it wasn't there. No one, including me, especially anymore, believes till death do us part. But I can see what I would miss in leaving the way her ankles go into the work boots as she stands upon the ice chest, the problem scrunched into her forehead, the little kissable mouth with the nail in it.
1: Her hearing the wind chime that's not wind chiming is probably the best part, and I guess that's where you still see some sort of magic. Well, and the nail in the mouth. Well, the kissable mouth is. Well,
0: I mean, the whole image is kind of nice, right? And that. I don't know. It's a nice poem. I mean, there's there. It's in some ways, it gets it veers towards being a little too conventional with those ideas of marriage it veers towards some of the Levertov stuff about being like, well, nobody believes until death do us part, but, you know.
1: Especially me.
0: Yeah. Um, But then the image itself is, the imagery itself is kind of nice and that it also is like somewhat, there's the nice, like, subversiveness of the, like, the gender roles being slightly... That's what I was
1: about to say. She's yeah. not doing something typically feminine. Yeah. She's holding a hammer.
0: Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. The nail in the mouth. That's or a nice, she can't like... can't
1: figure out how to use it, which is...
0: Well, I don't... That's not what it's saying. She's figuring out which one needs to go in which place, right? Like, which is a normal thing when you're, like, doing something, right? You're... Like, okay, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm holding the nail in my mouth while I'm, like, trying to...
1: Also, think it's kind of nice. The she is completely...
0: Encapsulated in what she's doing, right? So it's just... Oh yeah, and it's... Well, and it's an opposite of a normal love poem, right? She's not being... Sexy, or... Well, I mean... The speaker is seeing her as sexy in some way, but in a totally not... I mean, it's her ankles going into boots. It's not like... It's not a...
1: On the other hand, ankles are supposed to be incredibly sexy. That's why you have to wear skirts below them.
0: Well, okay. Well, if we're in the... (laughs) And it's also like a very... A somewhat mundane scene, right? Work boots, and she's standing on an ice chest mm-hmm. to to reach the. I right, can even see
1: that's a very common sort of, you know, partnered life sort of situation.
0: Yeah, well, but that, yeah, that's the part of it that is maybe kind mm-hmm. of this.
1: They've obviously spent a number of years together if she's just wearing work boots and having a nail in her mouth and, like, trying to figure out how to put the wind chime up,
0: right? But that's part of what's nice about it at the same time. I mean...
1: Yeah, no, I agree.
0: It might be a little... (laughs) But I don't know, I was trying to think of, like, oh, here, where's a love poem of people who have been together a while, not just...
1: Right. In the throes of passion. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that kind of is, right? Um,
1: Though Italian. It's, uh... I don't know. I don't know if I want to be in the fire cycle or in that place.
0: <laughs> well, all of those places are not terrible places to be. But I wanted to maybe, to leave us here. Okay. This is a Valentine's Day episode. Not everyone's in a relationship. Indeed. So I don't want to leave any of you feeling bad at the end of this with all our talk of love. And I also just, I don't think we've read any Maddox poems yet. His love poems are the total opposite. It's unrequited love to the extreme. Mostly his love poems are about women that he will never have a relationship with. So one is about that in a very imagistic sort of way, and the other is just a funny one. So this is the maybe more straightforward one. To the girl I love from an office window... I can see you from my office window every Wednesday morning when you cross the street to check your mail and come out, started home again. All winter when the tall trees were just leafless poles, I watched you walk to the corner, hollered once and waved. A window's not much place to talk. Late in March it snowed and you struggled by in that pink coat you wear, your face red in the cold. A few flakes whirled up and hit your hair I asked you out in April Of course you were tied up Now, first of May The trees are too heavy with green To let me watch you long To let you stay in sight Today you yank from a shrub A handful of leaves Some seasonal scheme I watch you first Then just your legs Till the tall trees hide you deep as a dream so that's, you know, kind of a typical love from afar, unrequited love poem.
1: Which I think is the whole genre home to itself, right? Like, I mean, that's a thing.
0: But Everett was smart enough to know that that was a bit of a genre. So here's another poem of him kind of taking the Mickey out of the no, you do not like that. Taking the mickey
1: out of it?
0: What would you say? I
1: have no idea what that means.
0: Uh, you know,
1: making fun of it. A I know bit. what you're trying to say. I didn't know that was the saying.
0: It is, yeah. Okay. Me and the dog and the bone of love. Well, I woke up on the sidewalk next to a dog. Inadvertently, I assure you. And the dog said... What's the problem, pal? And I said, unrequited love. And the dog said, pretty? And I said, pretty as moonshine through a broken bottle. The dog said, sounds serious. Where is she at? I said, across the street. The dog said, long way. And I said in my best graduate school idiom, an unbridgeable gulf. Dog said, well, want a bone? And I said, I got a bone on. The dog said, No, nah, man, I meant to gnaw on. And I said, Well, dog, considering the encroachment of a solid black sky unrelieved by her smile, don't mind if I do. Aww. <gasps> that's funny. Yeah, that's a nice one. That's a good one. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground on love poems, although I feel like I could have read another. We could do seven more episodes <laughs> on love poems on. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't read any Catullus poems. Mm. Or any uh there's so many good 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 poems to read. Or any um uh, Frank O'Hara poems for that matter. Maybe next year's Valentine's episode.
1: Round two. We'll hit some of those.
0: Well, thank you, Marina, for joining me for another episode.
1: Oh, thank you, that you was for having fun. me. What's well, fun? <laughs>